There's a lot of things that, that we've had to address over the last six months uh, when this COVID-19 became a pandemic, and it was a result of all this good work as a community that we were able to quickly turn around and, and provide guidance back to the rest of the people searching for answers. Welcome to Focus, a podcast dedicated to the business of higher education. I'm your host, Heather Richmond, and we will be exploring the challenges and opportunities facing today's higher learning institutions. Today, I'm interviewing with Troy Leach, Senior Vice President and Engagement Officer at PCI Security Standards Council. He provides insights about the new strategic framework that has been put into place for PCI. Hi, Troy. Thanks for being our guest today. Well, thanks for having me, Heather. Well, for those who may not be familiar with the PCI Security Standards Council, can you provide a little background? Sure, happy to. Uh, the PCI Council is a global forum that brings together payment industry stakeholders to develop different types of data security standards, and then also drive adoption of those standards in industry, along with raising awareness of other resources we have for protecting payments worldwide. Uh, the council was founded in 2006 by American Express, Discover, JCB International, MasterCard, and Visa. And we have a founding members, uh, all five of them share equally in the governance of the organization with, of course, the support of more than 800 companies worldwide that help participate in making payments safer. That is great. And, and actually, we did this podcast once before. Uh, we, we actually recorded an episode for season one, because that's when the new strategic framework was released. But then that COVID thing happened and some of the, the things didn't make sense anymore. It is shocking how different uh, who it is today uh, compared to what it was uh, just the, the last time we recorded. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So many of the things that we were discussing, they were uh, no longer relevant. We were talking about uh, types of travel and, and going to Barcelona and uh, doing on-site assessments and some of the challenges there. And, and now we seem to be operating in a brave new world. <laughs> I know my poor suitcase is just sitting there looking at me like, I haven't used you forever. <laughs> 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 and I know that as part of creating that new strategic framework, your role changed during that time, right? It did. Uh, yes. Yeah, so my new title is uh, Senior Vice President over Market Intelligence and Stakeholder Engagement. And what we did is we reorganized internally near the time of the public release of the framework. And what this allowed is it provided a more formal way for us to take action uh, by having a life cycle for that stakeholder engagement. I mentioned the 800 participating organizations, uh, hundreds of other security companies and professionals around the world, and then also just the other stakeholders in the industry that are either applying the PCI standards or are looking to them as an example for what they might be trying to do as well. And so that life cycle then provides a, a way for us to have a, a better mechanism to listen to industry feedback, to encourage involvement in the standards process, uh, in the development of future standards, have us be able to effectively communicate uh, some of those changes back out to industry, and then just raise awareness through training and other interaction. Yeah, that's great. It's really formed into quite the community, hasn't it? It really has. Yeah. Well, but since the framework is still fairly new to the rest of us, can you provide an overview of what that framework is? Yeah. So the, the framework essentially captures um, our longstanding mission and, and just does a good job of being able to compartmentalize all of the strategy that we try to and have been trying to accomplish for the last 14 years. 
which is to enhance the global payment account data security and, and associated payment data security, uh, drive education and awareness, and also the effective implementation of this by, by stakeholders. So there are four pillars. The first is around increasing industry participation and involvement and development of our standards and programs, as well as just broad awareness and knowledge of, of what the intent behind those standards are. Uh, the second is to continue to evolve the existing security requirements that have been created and make sure that uh, the, the, both the programs that support those standards and the standard requirements themselves um, have a legitimacy to them, that they're still relevant, that it still addresses the emerging threats, uh, the payment ecosystem. And then also to secure the third pillar is to secure emerging payment channels. So looking at how are the new alternative ways that we're starting to accept payments and are we using mechanisms uh, that are, are secure? Are we applying good security design to these new payment acceptance methods? But also are there new security process, new security methodologies that we should be uh, adopting within our, our standards and programs as well? And then finally, uh, the last pillar is that we increase the standards alignment uh, throughout the world and that there's a consistency where appropriate for us to uh, partner with other standards bodies, with other organizations around the world to make payments again safer. That's great. It is nice to have that framework so we can all kind of wrap our head around the, the different pillars. So let's dive into those pillars. Uh, let's start with pillar one, which again, focuses on the communication and education. Yes, and, and this is one of the most uh, important aspects uh, where we need uh, involvement from the community. You know, Benjamin Franklin once was quoted as saying, tell me and I will forget. You teach me and I will remember. Involve me and I will learn. Uh -huh. And we need that involvement in all the work that we're doing from the request for comment period to engaging at our community meetings that are, are happening now throughout the fall. And then from there, we look at how can we create awareness, the, the learnings and the teachings um, all over the world. You know, earlier this year, we had our Latin America Forum event, and they were doing case studies. They did five case studies that were specific and unique to the Brazilian market. But what we noticed is the things that were happening there were also happening in Mexico, in Colombia, in Europe, Asia, North America. And so, so it's taking these lessons learned and being able to work as a global community to have uh, some output and be able to adjust because what impacts us, say, in North America, um, sometimes leads to new types of vulnerabilities and new exposures um, elsewhere and, and vice versa. So we need to have a community of, of payment security. Uh, and that's really where uh, you saw recently we've posted a lot on our website related to COVID-19 and all of that came from all of our community coming together and saying these are issues that we're facing. We had grocer associations and retailers saying uh, how do we go about continuing to protect the payment terminals but it's a high frequency high traffic area and we want to make sure that our customers and our employees are, are still safe. How do we do remote assessments if you know, we no longer can travel abroad and, and do these type of, of evaluations. And, and how do we uh, work with our suppliers that might be in Southeast Asia and we're in North America? How do we deal with the disruptions to uh, getting uh, payment technology to us? 
There's a lot of things that, that we've had to address over the last six months uh, when this COVID-19 became a pandemic, and it was a result of all this good work as a community that we were able to quickly turn around and, and provide guidance back to the rest of the people searching for answers. Yeah, I, you've done a really great job. I know that I think about that and see some of these unique ways when I go to a restaurant or, or a retailer and see how they're handling those point of sale payments a little bit differently. And so I, I know that that guidance certainly helped. Well, speaking of COVID, with a lot of remote working and some businesses that really had to shut down for a while, risk obviously have gone way up. And uh, there's really that need to manage risk, which is pillar two. Uh, so that's really crucial right now. So let's first talk about those risks that you see. Yeah, and you know, we talked uh, earlier. There's a lot of alternative ways to accepting payments, and we saw, especially in the small merchant community and many universities and campuses, really are small communities. They're they're almost their own towns, and and they have all these smaller merchants that are accepting payments, and a lot of them had to move quickly to maybe online presence that they didn't have before. Maybe they had a store that was just card present transactions. They had to migrate to uh, e-commerce or if they were a, a restaurant, possibly they were doing takeout and all of a sudden we're using curbside uh, payment acceptance equipment versus what they were traditionally used to. So we put together what we identified as the top eight um, uh, really critical controls that people in a small business should be thinking about. Uh, we published that on our website. And this is a simple task that should immediately improve security. One of the things that uh, COVID-19 really brought to the forefront is it's not just the organization themselves and how they address uh, and manage the COVID-19, but all of their third-party suppliers. Yeah. We have so many small businesses that rely on the, the, the technology support of third parties. And sometimes if technology breaks down, uh, they were expecting, you know, their, their terminal vendor or whoever was supporting maybe uh, their software might be on site with them to resolve the issue. And we saw that even those technology vendors were limiting their exposure and, and travel. So, so we had to find ways that remote access into the environment not only was secure during that connection, but also remained secure because we, we know that uh, historically we've had so many, the majority of, of data breaches are through exposures and remote access. And so trying to make sure that um, all of these new connections um, also remain secure. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, all the stories you do see, and it's, it's always one of those things you're like, oh, I didn't realize that that was connected there. Or I left that piece open or have that level of vulnerability. Absolutely. And so this also in this pillar number two, this is also where PCI DSS 4.0 fits in. It does. And so uh, DSS 4.0 truly is a new generation, a new revision of the standard. And probably the single biggest change is with our new customized approach uh, option. So the PCI draft, and I have to emphasize it's currently in draft, uh, it does include a, a new approach to meeting and validating different security technologies and methodologies to meet the objectives of PCI DSS requirements. Mm -hmm. You can think of this as a new and better way of, of developing and then documenting uh, compensated control, something that uh, I think over the years, uh, really people shied away from because there wasn't as much clarity to the intent. And 
the, the new approach we're hoping provides a roadmap for what it looks like if you have a mature risk organization that has the right uh, mechanisms and, and mature process in place, how you can go ab about doing a, and demonstrating uh, good efficacy and, and security. So we received a lot of guidance on this new approach. In fact, uh, our RFC process netted over 3,200 pieces of comments. And uh, we just introduced this here, a new RFC process that actually requires us to document and show back to any submitter uh, what we did with those comments. And so you imagine that was quite a daunting ta task over yeah. the last uh, six to eight months. And now we're, we're in the process, we're in the middle of a request for comment period to look to see, did we get those comments right? This will be the third and hopefully final uh, request for comment period. So if any of the listeners are a participating organization, many or, uh, universities are, uh, highly encourage them to uh, consider looking at the draft, downloading it, uh, and knowing that it could change. It has evolved quite a bit, actually, in uh, the last uh, six months, and things that we've proposed in uh, the first RFC were not there in the second, and, and, and uh, probably will change and evolve again in the thir uh, third RFC. But uh, we highly encourage people, if, if they do want to be involved, this is the time now to, uh, to act and, and have that chance to see what we're thinking about. That's great. I know that uh, we were one of those that's one of those 3,200 <laughs> submitting some comments. So appreciate all the work you guys have put into to really taking good consideration for all of those comments and then also giving that feedback loop back to the community. It's been really interesting, Heather. You know, we, we've covered off uh, so many different topics and I, I'm not calling out any requirements because I don't know what your requirements that you commented are. Uh, but I, I do know some, there are some general themes that did come to light. Uh, one of that was around uh, just the protection of, of cardholder data and transmission. So requirement four of the PCI DSS and looking at, um, have, have we evolved to a place that you know, there's so many entities in, involved and in, inside of our networks. Do we need to be looking at a broader encryption requirement? That, that was something that was discussed at, at length in the last RFC. Uh, can we use uh, self-signed signatures if we have um, confidence in the, uh, the, uh, the signer and, and the root of the certificate? So these are, are some of the things that uh, we've been looking at. Passwords. Um, with, with NIST guidance and a lot of um, activity around authentication, that was uh, a big area. We knew that going into this development that people wanted to look at all of the, the, the improvements and the evolution of authentication, as well as uh, just some clarity around uh, you know, physical security, uh, looking at uh, requirement 11 and some of the uh, security uh, systems and, and the processes associated with that and, and looking at you know, we needed to start um, having better authentication of the vulnerability scans, and then just the risk assessments. A lot of new um, conversation about what does a good mature risk assessment look like in that process that is expected to happen every year, and what could the PCI Council be doing to uh, provide clarity there as well? 
Yeah, it's really interesting. And I think back and you said, you know, 14 years ago, the uh, the, the creation and, and I've I've been touching it for 13 years. And so I've been talking PCI almost as long as, as you, you guys have been around and just seeing that mm-hmm. evolution and the changes that really have to take place from a security standpoint. And, and again, with new technology coming on board and new bad guys doing new bad things and some of the changes, it's, it's always evolving. <laughs> oh, yes, it, it, it really is. And uh, and that's, you know, one one thing that I, I'd caution anyone listening to this podcast is that, you know, the development of uh, the PCI DSS standard and the expectation to meet new requirements is always changing. Uh, or I should say that it's, it's actually uh, typically several years by the time a standard comes out to there's a, an expectation that you have to evolve to, to meet that new security requirement. So if I may, I'll just walk uh, through the uh, timeline for PCI DSS. We, we have, as I mentioned, it began our third RFC for this, uh, which happened, will happen over this fall. And then uh, we'll hope to complete it, uh, the standard, and go hopefully not at 3,200 comments again. Uh, <laughs> but if it is, we'll, we'll go through that. Uh, but we're tentatively hoping to complete the standard by mid-year 2021. And then all of the supporting documents like the self-assessment questionnaires, updating the training, um, all the associated program work, all that will, will hopefully be completed by the end of 2021. And, and from there, uh, there's, there's timelines and a horizon for, you know, the expectation of, of implementing those new changes to the standard. Uh, and what will happen is we always run at least 12 to 18 months because this one's a little bit uh, more significant, maybe longer. Um, that's not yet decided. But we will have a transition period for people being able to validate to version 3.2.1 of the PCI DSS. And, and migrating to uh, CSS version 4.0 throughout 2022 and into at least mid-year of 2023. 20, uh, okay. And then we, for any new requirement that's found within the standard, there's always a additional sunrise period. So uh, if there's new requirements that we feel are significantly uh, different and, and they will require possibly adjustment by an organization to complete, uh, then we will typically provide at least two or three quarters of additional time. Uh, so I wouldn't expect any new requirements in BCI DSS uh, for to be have to be demonstrated and validated to until at least 20 uh, beginning of 2024. Okay, that's great. And I'll say that's one thing that I know I've always appreciated about the council and the requirements. It seems like that there's always plenty of time from a vendor's perspective for us to make changes if we need to, but also to help educate our schools. And I know that the our our schools are very appreciative to be able to have that time to truly understand what it means to implement before there's the compliance goes into effect. So I really appreciate that timeline. Well, and Heather, you, you just mentioned something that I think is really important is is nowadays no one operates essentially their own systems. It relies on third-party subject matter experts and these service providers. And so there is a longer period of time, um, you know, in maybe 15 years ago when PCI Council was getting started, uh, you'd go to your IT administrator and say, fix this. This is the new change. 
but it there's a there's a longer process just as you mentioned that that uh, the vendors need to be aware of the change their clients need to be aware of the change and and everyone needs to be working in, in partnership and concert but that takes additional time additional communication so that's one of the reasons uh, that the the timelines that we create um, have additional padding nowadays for accommodating this new uh, way that we operate business. Yeah. Again, it's different than a decade or plus ago, right? <laughs> That's and, right. And a lot of that really has to do with the, you know, the emerging technologies and standards. So that leads us right into pillar three uh, about emerging standards and technologies. So with this, you know, dramatic shift really for digital transformation, what are the new standards focusing on? Well, one of the very recent announcements is uh, around uh, mobile payments. So we have several standards in in mobile payments. And um, what we've seen is with COVID-19, a global push for more contactless uh, transactions and and just finding ways to leverage this this, uh, way of, of not having to touch the same equipment that uh, you know, through a, a registry or somewhere else that you would have, you know, many people would be coming through. And so that's an opportunity for us um, as the PCI Council. We have existing PCI requirements uh, for contactless and trying to help guide the, the next uh, generation of technology. So we are uh, just announced that we are, are having a PCI uh, contactless for mobile devices that are common off the shelf. Uh, you know, the Samsung, uh, Android devices, uh, Apple, and all these type of, of general consumer devices um, that may be accepting payments. We are now doing it um, with PIN acceptance, or, or I should say we're working on a standard, mm-hmm. and it will be out for RFC uh, where, where people can uh, contribute to, to that. Another area that we're looking at besides uh, mobile and, and contactless is just around um, – in general, how do we protect, you know, uh, payment data that's that's in these evolving channels such as cloud? So we have all of this new work in a cloud task force. I'm I'm very excited. Uh, we have contributions from Google and Amazon, uh, AWS and Microsoft among others, and and they're sharing how this cutting edge way that the cloud infrastructure environment is changing so we can leverage this technology to have more secure and confidence in the protection of payments in that environment as well. And then, and then regularly, uh, you know, with this pillar, we're constantly looking at what is the next generation of security? What's the next generation of, of payments? Um, how do we incorporate dynamic data uh, elements into every payment transaction and, what is the PCI Council's role to protect the integrity uh, and the security of the authentication associated with these transactions? So I I've always get excited talking about the future because I see so many new things that will help universities right. um, so that they don't have to throw uh, uh, another 10 le- layers of, of security to the same payment data, but we can flip the problem and have that payment data no longer be as relevant on its own um, and and find ways of dynamic um, authentication, dynamic data. And and that I think will will really help a lot of of, uh, treasurers and a lot of others around the world 
um, as we continue to mature in that area. Yeah, I think that's great, Troy. And, you know, what's interesting is a couple things. One is, you know, obviously contactless, that is the buzzword right now, as it should be. And so we're really helping uh, show our colleges and universities how to have that contactless campus. And mobile really is a forefront of that. But what I thought was really interesting is we just did a student study research and um, how, asking about how are you making payments and from a mobile perspective and really said, from a, if there was a university app for taking payments, what is most important to you? And it was an open-ended question. And security was one of the top reasons. And I found that really interesting because obviously from our perspective and from our, our school administrators, security is always number one. But to think that students are thinking that way too, I just thought was so, so important. And especially since you're really focusing on security of payments. Well, and, and that's, that's always really nice to hear because uh, I, I think in some ways uh, we, we've got so comfortable with remote technology um, and, and we have, you know, this, this acceptance that I, I can give up my data and, and it will be secure. And there's an assumption of, of security uh, and sometimes it may not be as well designed as as maybe as a consumer we would want want it to be. So I do think that that's that's an important um, and interesting survey uh, results. That yeah, I'm glad you shared that with me. That's I'm really glad to hear that. And so finally, how do we get everybody on board? The fourth pillar being industry alignment. So that's probably quite the challenge. Yeah, and you know you would think that, but at least for our perspective. Uh, a lot of times it's not. For the same reason you were just talking about the survey, I think everyone wants good security. Uh, the yeah. question, I, I guess, in, except for cyber criminals. Right. They, they would be the one <laughs> exception to that. But, uh, you know, in general, people all want to do the same thing, the right thing. And it, it's always about how do we go about that? And and so uh, in our work, we want to make sure that there are people that are, are looking at uh, the same type of issues, uh, but they are, are looking at it from a different lens than payment security. And I'll give a, a couple examples. One is uh, we're doing work right now. You may have seen uh, some of the uh, announcements and, and collaboration we've done with NIST. Uh, they developed a uh, secure software development framework. We also developed a software security framework. Mm -hmm. And in their work, they cite uh, the PCI standard uh, over two, two dozen times or about two dozen times. Oh, wow. And it shows where there's so much alignment on good software design. Now they're looking at this from a broader perspective than, than payments. They're looking at uh, government assets. They're looking at protecting a broader scope of, of, of data, but it shows that, you know, good security hygiene is really neutral to the, to the industry. And, and we are finding ways that we can work with them to promote the commonality because a lot of these organizations might have to demonstrate uh, good security of, of software design beyond just payments and PCI, but sure. for healthcare information, if they transfer bio data or um, in other fields of, of, uh, of interest to them. So right. um, that's, that's important for us to make sure that we align and, and promote uh, on that. Another example is with ANSI X9. Uh, we uh, sit on uh, many of their working groups and boards. We uh, have a, a joint standard around PIN. Uh, so the the uh, protections associated with the PIN uh, number that, that is uh, commonly used for, for debit and, and other uh, means. Mm -hmm. And so we find these ways. We, we also see our data security standard. I mentioned the 4.0. Uh, previous versions being mapped 
Uh, we have CIS, the Center, uh, Center for Internet Security. They're a board of advisor member of ours. Uh, they've mapped their, their uh, critical control objectives to uh, PCI DSS. Uh, we've done the same work with mapping uh, DSS to the NIST cybersecurity framework. So these are important ways that we demonstrate that, that you may not have to do uh, 15 different assessments of the same uh, environment. It may be that the same type of expectation in these different standards really is being met and the objective being attained uh, and, and possibly, hopefully, maybe the assessment that being done by only, only one or two uh, 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 times by an assessor. So that's really important for us, not only for us to minimize the overhead for demonstrating security, because we, we want people to be doing security every day, but being able to demonstrate it and validate that, we want that to be a, an easier objective to attain. But it also allows us to work with these other groups that might be seeing risk in healthcare, risk in um, power utilities, risk in other industries that will eventually possibly be used and abused to compromise uh, payment data. And so working together across industries helps us to prepare for what future cyber threats there might be. Yeah, that, that's great. And really just shows the reason why you have these four pillars and have this focus in all those areas to make sure everything's really accounted for. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so what other areas should our colleges and universities be thinking about when it comes to security and PCI compliance? Well, uh, I'll share a couple. Uh, first is, uh, you know, for the PCI council, uh, we are, are recognizing, and, and actually prior to COVID-19, uh, we're blaming everything on COVID-19, but right. I think this one is, 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 is fair uh, just because universities were so impacted um, by, by this and, and having uh, um, students that had to be now all of a sudden online. Um, we were trying to partner with academia to um, have curriculum in, in the, in the uh, schools we knew that there is a, a job shortage in cybersecurity. This has been well documented by uh, Wall Street Journal. Uh, I know that several other industry organizations have come out with data that says, you know, we're really the, the numbers are staggering in the millions of jobs that uh, really need to be filled by cybersecurity professionals. In fact, uh, ISACA did uh, and IC Square have done surveys out to the industry. One of those surveys uh, was demonstrating that during this, this influx time, this transition of people going online, many of the cybersecurity uh, uh, professionals in their roles were assigned to general IT responsibilities just right. to, to move and, have be, and be responsible for getting people uh, functional and, and operating online. And, and their security roles were um, uh, put on a shelf for, for a temporary amount of time. So we're looking at ways that we can uh, work with industry. We still have plans for the future to have collaboration. Um, and I think for universities themselves, a couple of things that I would be mindful of. One is going back to e-commerce. We see MageCart as a uh, significant issue for anyone that has an online business. Uh, MageCart is a, a name given to organized criminal groups that uh, are able to uh, insert malware into okay. uh, uh, web pages and it goes un 
detected by, by the merchants, by the small businesses. It goes directly to their customers' uh, mobile devices and laptops. And, and that, that's an area that we've been uh, looking at online digital skimming. Also looking at all of the IoT devices that are on campuses, right. especially if there is not staff on campus to monitor uh, the, these devices and, and check on them. We see a lot of uh, online skimming and other types of activities. We see uh, even uh, I, I've heard stories that at the last ComTech event that I attended where a college kiosk coffee maker uh was compromised and led to a good amount of cardholder data stolen um, out of an out of an IoT coffee maker. So we are looking at all these things, and those would be a couple of areas that I would be mindful of. Uh, obviously, promoting good and um, a regular encryption, point-to-point encryption for any type of transactions that are happening over a, a campus setting. Uh, there's so much that is happening in the university um, arena that. Uh, I, I could probably spend an hour just talking about specifically other things that I'd, I'd love to uh, make uh, universities aware of. But I, I know our, our time has run short, and uh, I do appreciate the platform to, to share just what's been happening in PCI Council. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Troy, for your insights on this ever-evolving world of PCI. Thank you, Heather. Well, it really is clear how the strategic framework helps focus on all the areas necessary to ensure the best security for today's environment. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Focus. Don't forget to subscribe so you can stay up to date on the business of higher education. For more information, check us out at touchnet.com.